Well, the theme we've all heard these past couple weeks is it's back to school. Things change drastically, not only with students returning, but traffic patterns are going to be different with everybody either involved in going to school, from school, work situations, but back to school again. It's important to be in school, and it's also important to recognize that schooling is a lifelong uh, endeavor. Not just something we get with our formal education, but lessons that we learn in life. I've come to appreciate the fact that one of the things that I've benefited from is learning to read and write. You find when you go to other parts of the world, or maybe some individuals even in our own country who don't have that ability, and how they're really prey to so many others. When I was uh, growing up, I heard a little song from my grandparents, and I don't remember all of it, but part of it that I do remember was um, school days, school days, good old golden rule days, reading, writing, and arithmetic taught by the tune of a hickory stick. I don't think that's usually done today anymore, but the reality is life lessons being learned in school. When I hear the things of uh, people going back to school and even with some in our own congregation, I remember very well that great transformation time when my kids were going off to college. And you thought on that whole trip there, what is it I'm going to say to them? What do I want to leave them with? What are the words of advice that I want to give? Because we understand that while it's very important for them to do well in their studies, while it's very important for them to learn a career and a skill and really have something that's marketable regardless of what they end up doing in life, what's really even more important are the life lessons, the things that will take place while they're in that arena. Some of the important life lessons we learn is something that's taught to us even when we're small little children. How to get along with others. And that's something we need to also remember as adults. We also have to learn the important lesson that we don't have all the answers. And learning both the fact that we need advice from others and who it is we ought to get advice from. Because not everyone who gives advice is necessarily the one that's going to give us the correct advice. We have to learn discretion to know what to say, what not to say, and how to say what we say, that it might accomplish what we desire. Every once in a while, a parent has to say, I guess they're going to have to learn that lesson for themselves in the school of hard knocks. Not anything we can do about it. They have to go through it. Life lessons. You can learn, don't always judge a book by its cover. 
which means far more than just the book you pick up from the library and you begin to read, doesn't it? Life lesson. Learned, you know, there really is no free lunch. Even though we have governmental agencies that try to tell us there is. Life lessons. Very important life lessons. But regardless of how financially successful, regardless of how professionally successful, regardless of how personally successful an individual may be, there is one life lesson that is more important than any other. And the sad reality is most people avoid it. And the most important life lesson of all that David tells us in Psalm 34 is for you to have true success, for your life to really have meaning and value, you need to be an individual that builds his or her life on the Lord. And so in Psalm 34, David invites others to experience in their life what he had experienced in his own. And he states it by saying, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. For to those who fear Him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life? And loves length of days that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil. And your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now we know that this psalm written by David is a praise psalm. We have seen that in our previous two studies. We know it was also designed to be a wisdom psalm. As David took the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet... In other words, A, B, C, D, to give us each verse that is here, so it could be memorized and recalled to memory very easily. It's designed to teach us an important skill in living life for our best good, as well as the glory of God. And as we look at the psalm, we see that it falls into four major sections. First is David's commitment and call to praise, verses 1 through 3. Then we have David's confession. And in fact, that confession is why it is that I want to continually offer praise to God and that His praise shall always be on my mouth. His circumstance and what the Lord did for him in verses 4 through 7. In verses 8 through 14, David provides us with counsel, advice, and direction. In other words, the way to look at life 
And it's all based on what David understands. And that is the fact that you and I each have an accountability to God. And it doesn't matter whether we accept it or we don't accept it. You know, it's so foolish to say, well, I don't really believe that, as if what you believe or what I believe changes reality. And the reality is God is the creator of all things and every creature has an accountability to God. And so David ends this psalm by recognizing God has a way he's going to deal with those who build their lives on him and he has a way he's going to deal with those who don't. His comprehension. Now what we have seen in this psalm is that it's a personal psalm and it recognizes that when we start talking about being an individual living in life, that it isn't a matter of being religious. Whether back in that day was embracing Judaism as it had been given through uh, Moses by the Lord. Or in our own day, whether it's embracing Christianity or another religion to think my religion is what will benefit me. David makes it very clear in this psalm that what really matters is a personal relationship with the living God. Uh, 14 times he mentions God by his personal name, seen in our psalm with all capital letters of the word Lord. He also uses other personal uh, pronouns to describe God. And when it comes to the relationship that God has with his people, he describes God's people not only as the righteous, but these are the ones who are the poor individuals, the poor man who cried, or we could say the one impoverished, recognizing not the resource in myself, it has to come from somewhere else. He's the one that's crushed in spirit and brokenhearted. He's the humble individual. He is the one that is God's servant. He is the one who fears the Lord, who seeks the Lord, who depends upon the Lord. A personal relationship. It isn't a call for you and I to be religious in life. It is a call for you and I to have a relationship, a genuine relationship with the Lord. And David made it very clear that the reason he is offering praise to God, that he has this resolve to praise God, and he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me, calling upon others to praise God as well, is because of what God had done in his life, verses 4 through 7. And as we saw in this section, you notice verse 4 and verse 6 deal with David's experience. Verse 5 and verse 7, David is saying, what God has done for me is not uniquely mine. It is something God does for all of those who put their confident trust in Him. You will notice how he juxtapositions it. I sought the Lord, verse 4, and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. And what God did for me is what he does for all who seek the Lord. They looked to him and were radiant. In other words, instead of pouting, instead of being anxious, instead of their faces showing the worry and the uh, anxiety that they were going through, their faces beamed. They recognized God was more than able to take care of them. And those who seek the Lord, you notice, not only did their faces beam, but they'll never be ashamed. Why is it God, uh, excuse me, David says, God is one that we are to seek. We are to taste and see that he's good. Because the reality is, God never lets his people down. I have disappointed people. 
you have disappointed people. Endeavors you have pursued have left you empty, sometimes even in debt. But the reality is God never lets us down. We're never ashamed. We're never embarrassed. We're never left alone. It's characteristic of how God deals with his people. So because of that, David says of himself, this poor man, this impoverished man, this individual who recognized no resources in himself, this poor man cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And the reason David experienced that in his life is because the angel of the Lord encamps round about those who fear him. And the term, the angel of the Lord, as we saw last time, the definite article with it is a term that is used for God himself. And in particular, God the Son, the second member of the Godhead. What does he do? He is hovering over. He is putting a hedge about his people so that only what he deems to be in their best good is what takes place. One of the greatest statements in the scripture about that reality came from the mouth of Satan. When God said to him, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him in all the earth. You know what Satan's response was? I can't touch him. You know why? You've put a hedge around him. Not even the evil one himself and all of his arrogant deception can ever do to one of God's people something that is contrary to what God determines is for that individual's best good. So you know what David said? Oh, taste and see. Don't be content to just hear the stories of what others tell you about how God has blessed and benefited them. Don't be content with hearing what people say God is like when he says, taste and see, it is something you need to experience for yourself. It isn't a second-hand account in which the Christian lives by. It's the reality of something God is doing in their lives and is true within them. Oh, taste and see. And what is it that we will learn? What will we find out in our personal experience? God is good. He is beneficial. He is wholesome in the reality of his character. And because of that, what he does is in keeping with that character, he brings goodness into the lives of his people. He is so wise that he can even take difficult circumstances, evil circumstances, the mistakes that God's people make at times, like David in this account. He was where he was because in his emotional turmoil, he ran into a circumstance that was worse than where he was in Israel. It's like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. He's now with the Philistines. Why was he there? Because Saul was seeking his life. And he recognized, wow, that was a boneheaded decision. But God is the one that even in that evil circumstance worked in the life of David to preserve him, protect him, and teach him more about God's sufficiency. And so David's plea to you and David's plea to me is taste and see. 
experience for yourself that the Lord is good. And the people who are blessed, whose lives are enriched and enhanced, who have the capability of meeting whatever life may throw at them, how blessed are those who take refuge in Him. To find that God is that ever-present help in any time of trouble. That God is the rock and the refuge of His people. He is their stronghold. He is the rock that will never be moved and infuses strength into His people. That like the Apostle Paul, those who put their confident trust in the Lord, they learn that even though when they pray for God to change the circumstance and God says, no, I'm not changing the circumstance, they learn God's grace is more than sufficient for the circumstance in which the saints are found. Life is filled with problems. Individuals will tell you, you know, life is hard. We want to live in a fairy tale world where we have no problems. But the reality is, life is filled with problems. And individuals can't cope. The easiest escape is TGIF. The easiest escape is some kind of stimulant. So I don't have to think about reality. The other escape is I got to go lay on somebody's couch to pour out my problems and hopefully he can give me the answers on how I can deal with them. And if there has ever been a rise in people seeking counsel, it's in America today. Because they don't know how to cope. Dear friend, taste and see that the Lord is good. Seek Him yourself. Be sure that you are grounded in Him. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. And what He says about being in His presence, having Him as your foundation, resting upon Him for your needs in life, is He says, fear the Lord, you His saints. Now again, we have to clarify two things here. First, I want to clarify the word saints. This does not mean that David is addressing only believing people. We think of the idea of saints in its New Testament context, and basically what the word saint means is you are an individual that's identified with the Christian community. And so when Paul would write to the saints at Ephesus, those are the individuals who identified with the local church in Ephesus. And many of them were genuine believers, but it didn't necessarily mean that all of them were. Who's David writing this psalm for? Well, as he's praising God, he's writing it for the benefit of the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel would be known as saints. Whether they were believers or unbelievers, they were in a unique set-apart relationship with God. That's the basic meaning of saint. These are the covenant community people. So, did Ahab, part of the covenant community people, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, fear the Lord? Not at all. And so David is writing to the nation of Israel who had that unique position before God, and he said to them, you want to know life's most important lesson? 
You want to know what is far more important in your life than anything else? More important than learning your reading, writing, and arithmetic? More important than knowing uh, how to handle problems in life? More important than being a success in your business or having all the financial resources available? Fear the Lord. This term, fear the Lord, as it's described in the book before us, is the individual that's trusting in the Lord. It's the individual that's seeking the Lord. It's the individual that's depending upon the Lord. And if I go even back to the first time it's really described in detail in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's the individual that loves the Lord with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if I go to what Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Of wisdom. You can't put life together without it. You're ignorant of one of the most important aspects of why things are the way they are, why you are the way you are. And the most important life lesson is that I can't be listening to what others say about God. I can't be wondering whether He's right or that individual's right. I need to seek the Lord for myself. I need to taste and see. And I will learn that He is good. And how blessed, oh how blessed, are all who take refuge in Him. For those who fear Him, they're not in want. God provides for their needs far more so than He does the rest of creation. The rest of creation may be in need, but when God deals with His people, He provides them with all that's necessary for life and godliness. He makes sure that while providing for their provisions, they also learn that man doesn't live by bread alone. You are much more than just a product of this creation, dependent upon the temporal. There is an aspect of your being that can only be satisfied in a relationship with God himself. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The most important life question is having a genuine relationship with him. Being a God-fearing man, a God-fearing woman, being an individual that is building his or her life on the Lord, being an individual that's depending upon trusting in the Lord, seeking him as they go through the life experiences. And so David says, come you children. Now we think that, well, maybe David's writing this for the benefit of toddlers, for the young people. But this is a common term that a teacher would use of his students. Come, you children, you students. Back to school. You're learning things in life. Let me teach you the most important life lesson. Come, you children. Listen to me. Pay attention. I'm going to teach you the fear of the Lord. And how does he begin it? He begins it with a rhetorical question. Who is among you? That desires life. He loves length of days. He wants to see good. If I put it into our modern uh, context, I would say, who wants to have the good life? Only a blooming idiot would say, no, I want a miserable life. Do you want a beneficial, wholesome life? 
Do you want length of days to go through life and enjoy the benefit and the blessings that God's given? Well, the individual that has the good life is the individual that's tasted and seen that the Lord is good. The individual that has the good life is the individual who is blessed because he has made God his hope, his foundation, his refuge. And it's characterized by the term, the fear of the Lord. And so in verses 13 and 14, David expresses how the fear of the Lord is manifested. He's not saying if you do these things, you will then fear the Lord. It's another way in which David is saying, if these things are seen in you, it's the indication that you have the fear of the Lord. If God is the one you respect, if God is the one you trust, if God is the one that you reverence, then here's what's going to be true in your character and in your conduct. And how will it be manifested? Well, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. So the first thing he says is that the expressions of their mouth, rather than being vicious, deceitful, are going to be expressions of integrity and truth. And why is it that David starts with the words of your mouth? Jesus made that very clear, didn't he? He said to his disciples, Are you too without understanding? What you eat is not what defiles you. Because it goes into your stomach, it's eliminated. But what defiles you is what comes out of your mouth. Because what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what's in your heart. And so he said, every unthought through, every you know, slight of the, word, uh, of the mouth word is what you'll be judged on. Because out of the mouth comes the issues of the heart. That's why James would say, you know, men are able to control everything. They can tame horses, they can put rudders on ships, but guess what man can't tame? His tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of poison. How is it that the tongue can be expressing integrity and what is beneficial instead of evil and deceit? Must be a change in the heart. Jesus said it like this in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure of what? Of heart. For they shall see God. What's your problem? Well, if you're still dead in your sin, your heart is deceitful above anything else. It is desperately sick. We can't even understand it. But the reality of what God does is He gives you a new heart. The reality of what God does is He makes you a new creature. That's why as we read in, the, in our scripture reading, circumcision doesn't mean anything nor uncircumcision. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter whether you're religious or not religious. What really matters is a new creation. 
And that new creation is a work that only God can perform. So David understood that the heart is reflected in one's speech. Not only that, but he says, depart from evil and do good. The lifestyle is not associated with demonstrating how bad one can be. And you understand that in the eyes of the world, badness is almost a mark of honor. The reality is, turn your back on that. It's not part of your experience. You don't want to make it your life pattern. But you want to be characterized by doing what is beneficial uh, for the lives of others. Seek peace and pursue it. Two things that came to my attention when I looked at this. John made it very clear that there were individuals that infiltrated the church. Peter and Jude talked about the same thing. The false brethren. You know what characterized them? They caused dissensions. The people of the world want to fragment, tear apart their own way. Jesus said it like this in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for there shall be the kingdom of God. Paul said to the churches, as far as it relies upon you, be at peace with all men. Trying to unify, to try to build up, to have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who didn't think what I really want in life is what's important to me, but esteeming the needs of others is more important than my own and trying to promote and do anything that I can to be beneficial to them. So when David expresses the fear of the Lord, he's saying, here's what will be characteristic of the individual and the way they're living of one who is relying upon the Lord, the one that's been transformed by the Lord, the one who is being changed more and more into the image of the Lord, the one who is the God-fearing man or the God-fearing woman, the one who's learned the most important lesson in life, that regardless of what I may have in this world, if I'm not acceptable to God, I'm a failure. I have nothing. And in spite of the fact that in the eyes of the world, I may seem as if I have nothing. If I'm an individual that has a genuine relationship with the Lord, that he's the one that's worked within my life and he's changing me more and more into the image of Christ. He is upholding me, strengthening me, strengthening me and blessing me each day. And I have something this world cannot even begin to Because life's most important lesson is that I've learned to depend upon the Lord. That He is the foundation of my life. He's the most important aspect of my being. And to realize that apart from Him, I can do nothing. So I leave you with the words of David as you think about your life lessons. Have you really learned the most important lesson in life? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Father, I thank You again.